Hello, my name is Kevin Thompson. I'd like to welcome you to the Davis McGrath LLC IB webinar series for April 4th, 2012. Uh, today's topic is copyright ownership issues. The recording and slides will be posted at our blog, which is the, shown at the address on your screen, which is blog.davismcgrath.com forward slash webinars, where you can also sign up for our mailing list. For those of you who are, need Illinois MCLE credit, uh, this uh, should qualify for a half an hour of credit. And if you're interested in uh, getting the credit for uh, viewing the live presentation or for viewing the recording, please send me your name and your A or DC number if you haven't already done so. Our next webinar is coming up on May 2nd, 2012 on the trademark clearance process. Certainly looking forward to doing that. Um, today we're going to cover for about 30 minutes uh, some interesting issues relating to copyrights. Uh, talk a little bit about copyright basics, go through the rights of the owner, just who is an owner, go through joint authorship, works made for hire, transfers, uh, recordation, and um, an issue that's uh, coming up more often these days was termination of transfers. Um, Copyright basics. Uh, for those of you who are interested, uh, our webinar on the uh, topic of, of general copyright issues is available on the address on your screen here. Uh, just in general, for a recap for those of you that haven't seen that, uh, copyright protects original works of authorship. Once uh, works are created, uh, they are automatically granted copyright protection uh, as a matter of law. Uh, they have to be original and they have to be uh, works of authorship. Uh, that are fixed in a tangible medium of expression such that, that they can be later perceived or viewed. Uh, so once that's done, such as you've, you've rewritten a piece, um, you've saved it to your computer hard drive, uh, you have copyright in that particular piece. Uh, it's um, a very interesting area. Um, and uh, there are certain things that are eligible for copyright protection and certain things that are not. Um, such as um, the general idea uh, of something is, is not protected. Um, it is the expression that's protected. But we, we cover that in a lot more detail on the webinar on copyright basics, which I certainly would direct you to if you haven't already done that. Uh, today we're going to go much more in depth on, on just, you know, authorship issues as, as to who is the author and uh, issues uh, along those lines. Um, what, once you have a copyright owner, there are certain rights that the, the copyright owner has, such as the right to reproduce the work, the right to prepare derivative works, to distribute copies, to perform the work, to display the work, and uh, uh, for sound recordings, the, the right to perform uh, work publicly by means of a digital audio transmission. So those rights are, are dependent on being the owner. And uh, you have to be the owner uh, to have these exclusive rights. So, so who is the owner? Uh, normally the default is that the author of the work is the owner, unless there's other um, operations of, of law or contract where you've assigned those rights to another. Uh, there's some exceptions to that which we'll get into, but, but generally the, the owner is the author, the person who put forth the creative effort and made uh, the work um, original. It should be noted that copyright is separate from the physical object. So uh, 
if you own a, a piece of art, uh, you don't normally own the copyright to the work itself. That generally remains back with the artist. So you, you may own a print, uh, you may own a book, uh, you may own a CD, uh, but that doesn't give you the copyright interest in uh, the underlying musical work or, uh, or artwork or uh, composition that, um, you know, is embodied in that physical object. An interesting issue that comes up a lot uh, is an issue of joint ownership. And the, uh, the 17 U.S.C. 101 is uh, the definition section of the Copyright Act. Uh, some uh, Lots of good definitions throughout there. The definition that's given there for joint ownership is a work prepared by two or more authors with the intention that their contributions be merged into an inseparable or an interdependent part of a unitary whole. Uh, this most often comes up with uh, works uh, such as um, a musical in which you have one author who creates uh, the, the lyrics and you have another person that, that, that creates uh, the music. And th th their intention is that their uh, lyrics and words be merged together into this musical at the time they create it. And so uh, they, uh, they would have joint authorship. It will, what's important here is that uh, what, what, what controls is the intention of the authors at the time uh, the work is, is made. Um, so if you have a, 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 a somebody who creates uh, a set of music and later on somebody uh, creates a set of lyrics that's independent at, at like a different time, uh, then uh, it's not joint authorship. It's a, what's called a derivative work and we'll cover that in a few minutes. Um, the authors of a joint work are co-owners of the copyright in the work unless there's agreement to the contrary between them, uh, which means uh, quite interestingly that each has an equal undivided interest in the rights um, so that one, one of the authors could, could give uh, permission uh, to do certain things uh, without necessarily involving the other author. Um, but it should be noted that exclusive rights, such as uh, the right to distribute copies or uh, to perform the work publicly, uh, requires an agreement uh, between the uh, between the, the the joint owners. Uh, duration um, is is the life of the last surviving author plus seventy years, uh, which is uh, slightly different than a standard work, uh, which would be. Uh, just uh, one, if it was just one author, it'd be be that author's life. But it's it's the last surviving author plus seventy years. Now, derivative works are what I alluded to before. When when works are not necessarily created temporally at the same time. Um, it, again, the definition section of the Copyright Act. It's it's a work based upon one or more pre-existing works. And the examples given are translations, musical arrangements, dramatizations, motion picture versions, and so forth, in which, um, or there's any other form in which a work may be recast, transformed, or adapted. And uh, derivative works are uh, the most common uh, way of, of, of t discussing a, a work where, where it's based on uh, a, a work that's pre-existing. So the example I gave earlier would be uh, somebody who creates a, a set of music and then later on somebody comes along and um, creates a set of lyrics to go that 
I'll go with it, then uh, the, 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 the uh, lyrics would be a derivative work. It also could be uh, an author's written a book, and somebody comes along and uh, translates that from the original English into Swedish. Uh, the Swedish translator uh, would have um, an independent uh, right uh, to their creative work, which is based on the derivative, uh, based on the original. Um, it should be noted that the original author has rights only to his or her work and cannot reproduce or perform the derivative work without permission. So that um, the example I gave is the, the, the Swedish uh, translation. Um, they have right to their work, but they wouldn't have right to the English original. And uh, they still require the permission of, of the original owner uh, to distribute um, uh, their, their work. And then uh, each author owns uh, their own individual contribution, so that uh, the uh, the translation will be owned by uh, the translator, and uh, the uh, original book will be written by the author. It will be owned by that author. Uh, another interesting piece that uh, comes up is uh, collective works, such as uh, an anthology or other... Um, uh, work in which uh, you have a collection made of of works. Um, uh, an example might be uh, you have a, a series of short stories that a bunch of different authors have written, and if you decide to take that series of short stories and put them into a um, collection uh, that you'd publish, uh, you could have a copyright in the collection, but each author would keep their own copyright so that uh, the, each individual author could still um, authorize their work to, to appear in, in other places as well, unless there's an agreement that says that they won't. But let's say, you know, the, each individual author still wants to, you know, put their work into other collections or to put their work uh, to be published um, like on the Amazon Kindle store or some other you know, method of independent distribution. And uh, uh, the ownership of each piece uh, is separate from uh, the ownership of the whole. So uh, the, the uh, ownership of the uh, collection would be, oh, the person that put the collection together would, would have a very, very slim copyright in the, in the fact that they have this collection of, of these works um, as opposed to the, each individual piece. Uh, one situation that comes up um, we should talk a little bit about is what happens if, if the author is a minor. Uh, minors can own copyright, uh, but uh, the laws regarding business deals with minors vary from state to state, so it's difficult to uh, provide a, a uniform answer to this question as to what happens. Um, in Illinois, uh, generally a minor can own property, uh, but needs an adult guardian to sign a transfer of rights. Um, especially important if, if the, uh, the author is um, uh, giving away you know, one of the exclusive rights. Um, in also certain circumstances, it's appropriate for the property to be held in trust by a custodian. Um, but it also might be prudent uh, if, if you are entering into a, a, a very large business deal with a minor, uh, that, that, that you make sure that the, the person who is the adult guardian that's signing actually is a guardian, isn't just a parent 
uh, parents don't always have uh, the rights to sign away the legal rights of, of their, their children unless they've been appointed as a guardian. Um, and it is um, it's important uh, to certainly uh, dot the I's and cross the T's and so forth and, and properly make sure that uh, the, the person that, that's signing the agreement uh, has uh, the right to do so. Now, works made for hire is another special situation that we'll spend a good amount of time talking about here today because um, it's the one that comes up a lot. Uh, and it uh, especially comes up uh, in situations of works made uh, by an organization or employer. And uh, this is one where uh, often people are tripped up uh, because their expectations uh, as to what happens doesn't always uh, comport to uh, what the law actually does. And um, the way the law works is that copyright in works that are prepared by employees in the scope of their employment are presumptively owned by their employers. And uh, the important part here is that it's got to be an employee and it's got to be in the scope of their employment. So if you have a, a work uh, created by uh, someone inside a, an organization such as um, a person who's normally in charge of uh, preparing a newsletter, uh, that, that newsletter would be presumptively uh, owned by uh, the employer. Now, this would be different if the person is an independent contractor, which happens a lot these days. Uh, an independent contractor, normally uh, the copyright would be owned by the contractor and not the employer, uh, which uh, could be uh, important if, if the contractor is doing some um, you know, sensitive work or, or work that is intended to be owned by, uh, by, by, by the company. And uh, if you do intend otherwise, a contract uh, needs to be signed to explicitly state uh, who owns the copyright uh, and uh, transfers the copyright if necessary. And um, uh, works made for hire, a works made for hire agreement uh, will only apply to certain type of works, which we'll talk about in a minute here. Um, so here's the section of section 101, again, the, the uh, the definition section. Um, the first part is the first one we were talked about a work prepared by the employee within the scope of his or her employment or part two a work specially ordered or commissioned for use as and these are uh, nine specific examples that are given in the act and it should be noted that um, there isn't a catch-all language in this section. These are the only nine things uh, that, that, that are designed to be works made for hire. So a contribution to a collective work, a part of a motion picture or other audiovisual work, a translation, a supplementary work, a compilation, instructional test, text, a test, answer material for a test, or an atlas. And so uh, even though you may put forth in an agreement that you believe uh, what you are doing to be a work made for hire, if uh, the work that's that's contemplated doesn't fit in one of these nine categories, then it isn't a work made for hire under the definition of the Copyright Act. And so even though you may have an agreement that says it is, um, 
it, it really isn't, and as a result, uh, that that's, that section could be considered void in in the contract, and uh, the uh, the person uh, who actually did the work uh, would would be considered the copyright owner, you know, if that was ever put to the test. And so, uh, one question that often comes up is uh, when, when you're dealing with a situation uh, with uh, someone that that you know, potentially could be considered an independent contractor. Um, it happens a lot these days uh, for uh, tax reasons or or benefit reasons. Uh, companies will hire somebody on for a special project, um, and then when the project is over, you know that they're they're done. Um, you know, was that person an employee during the time period that they were there, or were they an independent contractor? And it, it's sometimes a, an important fact question that a court will look at um, to see whether or not it is a work made for hire. And some of the factors that we'll look at is um, how much control did the employer have over the work? You know, did the employer direct it? Did the employer create it? Or was it, uh, you know, totally on, under the, the work of, of, the, uh, of, of the employee? Um, or, or the, 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 the worker uh, will say that just to avoid uh, making it uh, seem like we're picking one side or the other here. But I mean, the worker, uh, you know, were they an employee or were they an independent contractor? And, you know, did they did the employer give directions as to what the, uh, the way the, the work was supposed to work out? You know, that's one part of that first factor. Um, the second factor is how much control did the employer have over the worker? Uh, you know, did they direct their actions? Did uh, they um, uh, say, you know, you, you shall work here, you shall only work within these hours, uh, you shall, uh, you know, only work uh, on this particular project for me? Uh, you know, how much control do they have? And then, um, you know, what is the status of the employer? Uh, you know, did they provide benefits? Did they... Uh, deduct taxes. Did they, um, you know, do the uh, the other things that normally would be uh, done for an employee, as opposed to uh, somebody who was independently working uh, for the company? And so it's it's a very highly fact specific uh, question here. Um, some examples here of uh, work made for hire agreements uh, or situations where this can, can come up a lot. Um, so if you uh, do have, uh, you know, the, these types of works uh, done by independent contractors, uh, it would certainly uh, behoove uh, a, a careful look at, uh, you know, the arrangements you have with them. Uh, website developers, um, you may have worked with someone to, to create your website and, uh, you know, if uh, you know you, you don't have a transfer of copyright ownership uh, in the arrangement, uh, you you quite easily could could uh, not actually be the owner. Uh, same for computer software. Um, again, it, neither one of the website or computer software is is one of the um, you know the the nine categories. Um, so it's so certainly uh, it would be prudent to look uh, at the at the arrangements you have. Um, photographers, if you've got someone that uh, takes pictures uh, that you put up on your website or in your publications, uh, that certainly uh, would be prudent to look at. Uh, graphic artists, if you have somebody that creates a logo for you 
or someone uh, that uh, creates uh, some other design elements that you use in your business. Again, it's, it's important to look at those types of contracts. Um, but at the same time, you have uh, brochures or publications that are produced in-house uh, by your employees. Uh, those would be presumptively uh, owned by the employer because, you know, if they're produced in-house by an employee within the scope of their employment, uh, they are uh, presumed to be owned by the, by, by, by the, by the company. Um, another example to take a look at uh, would be an agency you're working with to produce advertisements. Uh, if you don't have a uh, you know particular arrangement uh, with uh, that um, with that agency as to you know who owns what, uh, and if they don't have like a, a specific transfer in place, uh, you, you may not own the creative work that you think you do. Uh, so as a practical tip, um, uh, personally, I, I like to practice a belt and suspenders approach, and I like to have a written agreement in place that asserts uh, the items are intended to be a work made for hire, uh, but in the event that uh, the item is deemed not to be a work made for hire, um, then that, that particular agreement functions as an assignment and, uh, you know, puts forth a, a requirement if necessary for, you know, people to work for you know, to sign whatever may, might later need to be signed in order to, uh, you know, effectuate, uh, you know, th that intent. Now, transfers is uh, uh, the next topic we'll be talking about is, is um, you know, to have a, uh, this would be the part we're talking about agreements in place or, or other operations. Um, and, um, you know, there's some specific rules that, that take place, um, you know, depending on um, just what it is uh, that uh, is being transferred. Uh, this is the most common, which is transfers by agreement, which you have a contract in place uh, with someone to, to transfer copyright ownership. Uh, any or all of the exclusive rights can be transferred, and uh, you don't have to assign all of them either. Uh, you can assign one person uh, the right, uh, one of the exclusive rights. So this is just the right to perform the work publicly uh, can be given to a theater. But uh, you also may um, uh, have uh, the right uh, to distribute copies of the work, such as a play. You might send that off to a publisher uh, who can then create a book. Um, you might authorize a translation, which would be a derivative work. Um, so if you want the, the work to be performed by another, by a uh, uh, you know, company in Sweden, for example, um, the Swedish translation uh, could be a, an authorized derivative work to a, a yet third party. And um, the, the important part of this is that a transfer of copyright ownership uh, must be in writing and signed by the owner. And a transfer of one of the exclusive rights must be in writing. But if you are uh, giving a non-exclusive right, such as something where you're merely grant granting someone permission to do a certain thing with your work uh, that doesn't impact one of the, one of the exclusive rights, uh, you don't need a writing. Uh, those, those types of things can be done orally. Um, but if it's any one of these other things, uh, it must be in writing. Uh, there are many courts these days that say a writing uh, can be done electronically. So uh, if you've got an email uh, giving a transfer uh, in which, uh, you know, it's acknowledged uh, by some form of digital signature, uh, then uh, that certainly could 
potentially be enforced? Again, it'd be a sort of a fact-specific question here. Um, and it's important to note that there are other ways that, that copyright could be transferred, um, such as operation of law. And a question that comes up a lot is, uh, what happens to your copyrights when you die? Uh, you know what happens to those? Uh, is it a, is it something that just disappears af after your death? And the answer is no, because uh, the way copyright is is structured is that the the right uh, uh, like the the right essentially is measured by by the life of the author. So uh, the the work is is anticipated to to end. Um, at a certain number of years after the author's death, and although the the number of years seems to get extended a lot uh, by operation of law, uh, it's currently the life of the author plus seventy years for for basic uh, general protection. Um, and so, um, you know, it should be noted that that what happens to that to that work is it's a copyright is a personal property right which can then be willed or passed on with personal property as part of an estate. And so um, you may have a, a will uh, that uh, that you know functions as a transfer device. Uh, you may have probate uh, that uh, functions uh, to transfer um, the, uh, the personal assets as part of an estate. Um, so those are all uh, you know ways in which um, you know these these works can be passed along. Uh, it should be noted that uh, um, you know when you can re when you register your works at the copyright office, you can also record a uh, be, be record an assignment or, or other assignment of rights, um, you know, or a license perhaps uh, could be recorded at the copyright office. Um, so there's no requirement to actually do record, uh, you know, these things. Uh, but there are, are, you know, some benefits that you get by doing so. Uh, it puts people on notice of your rights, and you can establish priorities uh, if there are any, um, you know, conflicting transfers. Um, so um, you, you you might want to do that. So so you've got people would have what what's called constructive notice of your rights. Um, you record and. Uh, if there's ever a dispute as to you know who's properly the owner, uh, you you can say, look, uh, you know, as of this date, uh, I was recorded as the owner, and you're 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 constructively presumed to have 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 known that as of the date that I filed this with the copyright office, and uh, which then is a publicly searchable database of, of ownership. Uh, an issue that comes up a lot these days is um, when you do have an, an assignment of, of exclusive rights, um, you know, is there any way to like say, geez, I got a bad deal uh, to do, you know, get um, a work to do uh, that, that I, I gave the exclusive rights for, uh, but, you know, nobody's publishing it, nobody's doing anything with it, you know, what do I do to get this back? Uh, and um, uh, there are certain uh, ways uh, in which you can transfer, uh, terminate the transfer. Uh, the right begins 35 years after creation and um, uh, it lasts for a period of five years um, and you have to serve written notice of termination. 
Um, but it's important to note that if it's a work made for hire, uh, you you cannot terminate that. It's uh, that that simply it's just not allowed. Uh, but if you've got a, a work in which you as an author gave a, a publisher uh, certain rights and for whatever reason uh, you know you, you want to get that back, either you or your estate can can bring uh, these um, termination proceedings. Again, there's a five-year window that begins uh, 35 years after creation. And uh, these are certainly in the news. Um, uh, what you're starting to get uh, is uh, certain popular uh, music recordings that were created after 1978. They're starting to become eligible uh, for termination in 2013. And um, uh, what makes that interesting is, is that before 1978, uh, certain uh, certain types of sound recordings uh, were not uh, eligible for, for copyright protection. And so... Um, what ended up uh, being the case is, uh, you know, that's when the, 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 these these rights, you know, began, um, and uh, you know, the, these uh, per certain popular musical artists are are starting to look into it. Uh, you know, there's there's um, I believe Bob Dylan and um, some other artists are uh, certainly looking at uh, seeing what they can do to terminate. Um, but it's by no means a slam dunk, uh, because I mentioned before, uh, works made for hire uh, are not um, uh, eligible for termination. And uh, the question would be for many of these these things as to whether or not they're actually were a work made for hire, because uh, some of these artists would have been under contract uh, with the uh, with the recording studio. And uh, just what impact does that have? And so, you know, both sides, the artists and the recording studios, are, are certainly going to be, uh, you know, um, you know, battling these issues out. You're probably going to be read, reading some more of these uh, issues uh, in the next few years as as these uh, these works are starting to, you know, filter the way through. And um, there was a recent case that was just filed. Uh, the estate of Ray Charles uh, with his children. I didn't list them here, but I believe there's about seven of his children, uh, which are part of this. Um, essentially, uh, just very briefly, um, when Ray Charles, before he passed away, he'd set up uh, certain revocable, irrevocable trusts for each of one of his children with the condition that uh, uh, they do nothing to uh, contest uh, the rights in his uh, musical library. And uh, they wanted the musical library uh, to be owned uh, by the, I believe it's the Ray Charles Foundation, and um, uh, his um, uh, foundation is suing the children uh, because some of these children have decided to try to, um, you know, get more than than what was given as as part of their their you know his estate planning and are starting to try to terminate uh, the, the rights of. Um, uh, those are the transfers that were done, and um, it should be a really interesting issue. Uh, we'll see what, what, how that pans out. But this case was just filed just a few days ago. So uh, that's a uh, good point to see if anybody has uh, any questions at this point uh, for what we've uh, talked about so far. If you do have questions, uh, please feel free to use uh, the software. Um, the, the the webinar ish, uh, software here has a, a procedure where you can uh, input a question for an admin, uh, 
and I can answer it very briefly. Um, also, uh, if you have questions, if you're watching the recording, uh, you can send them to me by, by phone or, or email. I believe I just saw a hand raised. Is there a question? Uh, question is, can you tell us more about the Ray Charles case? Um, I'm not sure what more details you'd like to know. Um, I don't know too much more beyond the specifics. I've, I've read a copy of the complaint uh, when it was uh, filed. Um, and uh, if you want to uh, send me um, an email at uh, my address below, which is uh, kthompson at davismcgrath.com, uh, and send me your email address, um, I'd be happy to reply back with a copy of the, of the complaint is filed. Are there any other questions? Well, uh, if there are no more questions, um, I'd like to thank everybody for attending. Um, again, our next seminar is coming up on May 2nd, 2012 on the uh, trademark clearance process. Um, again, you can sign up for our mailing list uh, at uh, blog.davismcgrath.com forward slash webinars. Uh, we're also, the this, this particular recording uh, will be posted. Um, and again, if you need MCLE credit for Illinois, um, uh, please uh, send me your, your name and ARDC number if you haven't already done so uh, for uh, viewing the live webinar or for viewing the recording. And so I'd like to thank everybody for attending. Have a great day.